well, I'm like I'm junior label assistant at BSM. So, yeah. Um, jack of all trades in the music industry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we could do that. We'll yeah. Go, yeah. <laughs> Does wanting to be involved in the music industry come out of being a music fan? Is it as simple as that? Like you're obsessed with listening to music, finding new music. Yeah. Is that how it all started? So I think when I was younger or in school, I just like played music, wanted to learn as much about music in terms of like, I mean, I did music tech at school. So like recording, like learning about microphones and sort of like that side of things. And that sort of slowly wore off as I started listening to more and more music that wasn't just me playing music or like my friends playing music. So I think it stemmed out of me sitting on the internet quite a lot, learning about, you know, these little taglines that would be next to like people's MySpace pages and stuff like that or on the info sections, like such and such label, such and such records and like Googling them and finding what they did and finding, oh, that this is actually uh, a company that works with more than just one record, uh, more than one record or more than one artist. So like finding that these companies that appeared that I'd never even like discovered or heard of were almost like tastemakers or it was like a stamp of approval from like whoever was behind this name yeah that this band is good or that this band fits their their musical style so I think after doing that and like going to uni with like a keen interest in music and to do music I always had this idea that I wanted to do a music business degree in learning how to like work with music or manage bands or promote music or you know any way that was working around music because at the time I was very much like if I work within music that doesn't feel like a job to me that feels like doing something that I enjoy extension of your hobby yeah an yeah. extension of my hobby extension of my personality extension of like everything that a lot of people I guess at school and university knew me as as someone who just like was really into music and mm. like collecting records and all that sort of stuff and then one thing led to another and now I'm here talk about um having a label as like a seal of approval mm. for artists do you have labels that now you're sort of you have enough faith in the label that anything they release you will give your time to listen to yeah loads like um i mean i'm <clears throat> i'm in a very fortunate position that i work for a record label that was my favorite record label growing up so big scary monsters was that label for me that when i was younger I mean, younger, like 10 years ago, going to uni, I would listen to anything that was on BSM. So, like, discovering bands like Blackfish or Colour or Tube Lord, um, Tangled Hair came later, and I would dedicate an evening listening to anything that came out by that, that BSM put their stamp on too, but, like, other, other labels, like uh, Top Shelf in the States. I was, like, a massive Top Shelf fanboy for many years. Like, yeah. I, like I wore that pretty pretty proudly. Anything that came out and like uh, run for cover later years, anything that came out on polyvinyl, um, going back to like, I mean, sub pop was a massive influence on like, for me, like discovering that a record label wasn't just like, you know, we put a record out and then that's it. It was very yeah. much like we're a brand where like this is a lifestyle as well as a label. So those those labels for sure. Um, I think I like drew a lot of influence from like US based labels before I started like looking Mm. in on in on the UK scene and I still 
and learning I st I'm still learning more about like UK and European labels than I am stateside yeah because so, they talk about it with sub pop that's like yeah. people there's like a sub pop sound isn't there and yeah. even bands will come out now and in a review you might see someone saying oh this sounds like you know mid 90s yeah. sub pop or something like that I think the fun thing with sub pop is that they yeah obviously like in the early 90s and the mid 90s there was like the big grunge scene in Seattle and that they sort of like forefronting that and um, they did very well of that but there's they obviously they put out comedy records like they put out Flight of the Concord record like last last week and they have a they have a um, sub pop store that's in the in the airport in Seattle like they are a label that have like nearly gone bankrupt like three four times and still managed to like do amazing things with the resources that they have yeah and they're just like I think I think the thing, personally, the thing that I think separates US labels from UK and European labels, maybe UK labels more than US labels, is that America is so much bigger than the UK that these labels can really put like a stamp on the city or in the state that they are. It's like Sub Pop is like intrinsic into like the Seattle scene. There are obviously other labels out there that do really well. A couple of friends of mine run a label called Freak Out mm -hmm. in Seattle, but it's like them and the sub pop world very they don't really interact because one of them is is more is, is a massive independent and one of them is just like you know a bedroom operation even though they wouldn't like to be called a bedroom operation yeah. but they don't cross over very well and where in the UK it's very much everyone's like London centric like everyone just wants oh if you haven't got an office in London then you're not a record label yeah. I don't. I've, no one's ever said that, but that's how I genuinely get the feeling that it's it's a lot harder to run a record label outside of London. There are obviously um, examples that do really well, like especially a subject here in Bristol. Like they mm. are killing it. They run a record store. They cater to their market very well. They're lovely people, and they have never been a London label. They're from Exeter, and they, you know, I think they wear that as a as a badge of honor, and I think it, it helps them mm. out very well. Yeah, because you read about um, labels like uh, Captured Tracks in the States. Mm. That's like you can be on Captured Tracks mm -hmm. and never set foot in the States. Yeah. I thought that was like a strange thing after what you've just said. Yeah. That it's so important to have a physical office in somewhere. Yeah. Where, you know, I thought nowadays with the nature of, you know, the way people consume internet, music, yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. if you have a physical office at all, really. Yeah. But you still think that has an impact on labels. I mean, personally, I work better in an office. Like, I used to, um, I used to own an office with a friend of mine, and I would do a lot of work there. And I personally feel like my workload is a lot. I'm learning how to work remotely at the moment. Um, but BSM has an office in Oxford, and that caters much, very much as like an office that we go to and work in. It's not like, it's not an office that you know has a fancy chair at the front and like a pinball machine, and it's not like a bit. It's it's not there for showing off it's there for us to go and work and have like a storage facility yeah which is good and i think that's a i think that's important because you know creative minds together team ethics being together creates a better working environment but you know it'd be great if, there, if you could afford like a a whole story to yourself yeah. and just like everything but i think that's very rare these days to be able to afford the retail to do that um you look at like rfc's youtube channel and they just have like endless amounts of space to put records in and endless amounts of like 
little things that they do and I'm like do you ever do any work yeah do you actually it's work it's just for, just like for your YouTube numbers yeah. obviously they do work so they do very well out of it but yeah yeah I watched a documentary about creation records okay in yeah in the 90s and it's kind of even though they were doing quite well at points yeah. because the owner was you know because Alan McGee was so reckless and stuff yeah. they were constantly bankrupt and uh -huh. it was like had they never signed Oasis mm -hmm. right before they went completely bankrupt then they wouldn't be they, anything no one would know who they were you know yeah. they sort of, well I mean that's not necessarily true but that's what like yeah. brought them out of obscurity you know I think it works for uh, I think well every label is run differently through better or for worse and every label is an extension of the people who work there and the person who owns it or the collective of people that own it it's an extension of their personality so some people work better with you know showing these things off and being big and brass and like putting their you know swinging their egos around about having a massive office where other smaller no see I'm saying it there I'm even saying it there like smaller labels that just because they don't have an office but like other labels <coughs> are just as creative just as successful just as profitable just as good if you want to say it but don't have a space in london to show off you know yeah i'd rather i'd rather put on a great night that makes money and makes everyone happy and all the bands get paid and everyone is you know is well attended then put that money into like a big office space yeah for us to just sit down and have a chat together our flying speed is 575 miles per hour so if a record label is like an extension of your personal taste, failure, failure by design is your kind of... Child. Child. Um, <laughs> when you sign an artist, is yeah. that does that artist have to be someone that fits your personal music taste? Or is it more like your ethics of business and that kind of thing? Um, well, see, the, okay, so this is quite funny. So when we started FBD, me and my best friend Ben we i mean we we were already doing things that conventionally <clears throat> i think anyone like kev who runs bsm would probably tell me is a stupid idea now if i said we should do it like the first release that we had on bsm was my friend's band a great band the best band that ever weren't <laughs> they're called swim good absolutely amazing band like i saw them bunch played with them a bunch thought they were incredible they broke up that was it and then about three years later i was like i'm gonna start a record label and you're gonna be a band again and I'm going to release your EP. Yeah. So I basically drag we not just me, me and Ben. We dragged this band out of like out of the grave, and we're like, "You're a band again now." By the way, you're going to go and play shows. You're going to release a record, and they were like, "Okay." Stupid did you idea. Did go along with it then? Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. it was amazing. Stupid idea, um, but hilarious nonetheless. Like we were just winging it every single day, being like, "Right, let's write a contract. I guess let's." press some CDs I guess and it was very much like you know making it up as we go along and then we got this idea in our heads that we should just do what we want to do and if people vibe on that then that that's great so but we signed another band from Guildford called A Tiptoe who were really cool we liked them quite a lot that was very conventional like a lot of people saw that coming and I think we we, <laughs> we got a bit distressed by that because we didn't want people to guess who we wanted like we didn't want to announce a signing and then people would be like oh yeah of course of course that's happening so we for the third release we um, signed a band from Seattle oh yeah okay. 
called Fox and the Law, who were a blues rock band. We were just like, you guys fucking rip. Like, we saw them on uh, KXP, which is a radio station out in the States. They do uh, live video streams. And uh, I, again, just like extension of personality, just loved Seattle, knew Seattle very well, and understood how important KXP was to that city. So I used to watch a lot of their live streams, figured out that this band Fox and the Law who played were incredible, hit them up on the email, and then next thing we know, we're releasing their third album and booking them a UK and European tour. Oh, wow. And we announced that, and people were like, what the hell? And we were like, yep, that's what we've done. We are breaking a band from America into Europe. And they were like, okay, let's let's see how that goes. <laughs> how did it go? Um, hilariously. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we've... We definitely pressed too many CDs. I think we still. I think we're just getting to the end of those. Um, but it was, I don't know, like taking uh, taking a, a a bit from Bob Ross. Like I don't think you can have any, you know, everything's just a happy accident. There's no sort of bad things going on. If we hadn't done that, then we wouldn't have learned about booking tours per se. We wouldn't learn about, you know, we wouldn't have had some great friends that we worked with for years to come in America. We wouldn't mm. under we wouldn't me and Ben wouldn't have gone out there as much as we did. Like it's, I think everything that you do, for all the shortfallings in terms of like selling stuff, you still get to meet people and you still get to learn from those people and you still get to like work with those people, which I think is just as important as like you know making a profit on a record. I'll be speaking with you again from time to time. Thank you. So what are you doing at um, Big Scary Monsters at the moment? Um, so at the moment I am a junior label assistant. Um, there's four of us who work at the company and we do have you know job roles, but those job roles blend. So we will work with each other quite a lot on lots of different things. So I have like yearly targets and all these sort of things like you would expect in any company that you want to hit and that you want to achieve and you know better yourself in the moment I'm doing a lot of uh, like brand awareness stuff so um, I was saying to you earlier we're starting a podcast Um, I do a monthly newsletter that goes out in all our distribution goes out in all our sales Um, do a lot of work with the smaller acts on the label so when they I'm usually like one of the first faces that they talk to for last year I was in like Brighton quite a lot so I was meeting a lot of bands that we work with now and being like their face-to-face sort of contact we all have we all have bands within the label that we sort of deal with day-to-day more than other other people so I have sort of a group of bands that I work with um, and I go to a lot of events for the for the company so going to Manchester Punk Fest later next month in April um, we all go to Two Thousand Trees and Arc Tangent. We all have lots of events that we go to. So I go and sort of like I'm a face, uh, rep the brand quite a lot, mm-hmm. as well as helping out on campaigns as much as possible. You talk about working in the music industry if it, as if it's like almost being paid for a hobby, mm. which I think is a, a dream that most people have. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone wanted to go a similar route to you, if someone mm. wanted to start up in the music industry, what advice would you give them? that if you really want to do it, then you kind of have to, the best way personally I've found is to forge your own way. So for instance, when we started FBD, that was, I, me and my friend Ben started FBD because 
I couldn't get a job in the music industry. There was no jobs when I finished uni and it was frustrating because I'd just done two and a half years of music industry prep and I couldn't get an internship. I couldn't get anything, couldn't get a job out of it. So we forged our own way. My, my friend Ben is a fantastic videographer and so that was the skill set. I wanted to surround myself with someone that could, you know, my weaknesses wouldn't be a company weakness. His strengths and my strengths would create a strong company. So we did our own stuff. We put out our own releases. And like, I think that's the best way to get involved in the music industry. If you want to be a promoter, then going and knocking on a venue door and being like, hi, I want to be a promoter. It's probably not the best way to do it. Like putting on your own shows and starting your own scene in your own town and city or village, wherever, is a good way to get noticed. It's mm. a good way to, to hone your skills, learn from your eventual failures, and reap the benefits of your successes. Like if you want to book bands, if you want to be a booking agent, go and find those promoters and do it yourself. Because the problem is in the, in the music industry and a lot in the big companies, like you're just a number, like you're just, it's a big business. If you don't fulfill the, the role, then they're going to find someone who does. And sure, on your CV, it looks great that you've worked for a big company, but did you really, like if, you didn't, if you're not there for very long, if you're an intern, you might be just making someone's tea. You might be just going in a mail room, you know? But it's, you've given yourself like a hands-on experience of running a label. Yeah. Is that how you got your job at GSM? <clears throat> yeah. So it's how I got multiple jobs, actually. And the one thing that people would always ask me questions about in the in the interview process was, what was my experience and what is Failure by Design Records and how would that affect me working for this company? Because obviously they... We're looking at it and like this kid works full-time at a record label because obviously on my CV I said I worked full-time at a record label because mm -hmm. it was my own and whenever I wasn't doing anything I was working on that record label so I think doing a bit of prep on your own and doing some real-world experiences is going to be far more valuable to you as an individual than going and getting an internship you know if you're just straight in a big company straight away then you are so disconnected to actually what you're working with so when I was at BMG it's a major label it's a big business but music was not consumed the way I consume music it was called like the product when are we going to get when's the product coming mm -hmm. you know BSM we go for meetings at the pub you know we go meetings at Weatherspoons and we talk about how fucking great an album is and we know that track 8 is a slammer track 6 should be single 1 you know because we live and breathe those those bands those albums those people um, and I bet the bands really appreciate being treated like that as well rather than just yeah. being like well I hope so yeah yeah. <laughs> I'm sure all the bands that we work with want to be world superstars but I think we like we just have to know that these these people we have to work well with them and they have to work well with us and if they understand the way that we work and the way that we want to work with them then it should it should be you know golden brown mm -hmm. texture like sun <laughs> much higher and faster than you've ever flown before Connor if you were going to host your own music festival yeah who are your three festival headliners oh god can they be like do they have to be a, a present band now no you can you can resurrect people oh you okay can... right well Jimi Hendrix is straight up headlining 
yeah. one of the days. I don't know how many days this... You've got, you got three days. Three, days, three okay. days, So it's my version of Reading and Leeds. Um, sure. But it'd be better than Reading and Leeds. Because <laughs> that is a bleak festival sometimes. Um, Jimi Hendrix is definitely headlining, but I think I'd like to put Jimi Hendrix as the final act you know, on the Sunday. Because I don't think anyone really wants to follow him. Um, oh, God. This is a tough... This is very tough. Um, I think I'd have to have... Okay, I'd have to have a split Saturday headliner, you know, like I do at Reading and Leeds. So mm-hmm. I think I'd have like a, a double billing of uh, mineral and American football just to, you know, appease the emo side of me. As sort of like and then this is should know that you're wearing an yeah, American football t-shirt. Right yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> I took this to work the last, a couple of weeks ago. I was very pleased with myself that I bought this on the internet. And uh, no one said a thing. And I was expecting to be rinsed by everyone because we had very previous, like, a couple of weeks prior to that had announced that we were signed American football and I like had to keep a bottle on my head for about a month before we told anyone about that and it was like very hard to do that so I'm very proud of myself not telling anyone that and then on the Friday oh on the Friday see now I'm thinking like Reading and Le- did you, have, you ever go to Reading and Leeds? yeah not for a few years but yeah when was the last time you went to Reading and Leeds? Um, 2012 wow okay I feel old now. Um, when I went to Reading and Leeds, 2007. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like Friday was definitely like the more indie dancey day. Yeah. Saturday was it was like was Metal know, Sunday still a thing? Yeah. Metal Sunday was definitely still a thing when I went yeah. to Reading and Leeds. Um, okay, so harking on on that idea, I think for Friday headliner, I would have because they're doing it at the moment. Block party playing Silent Alarm in full. Cool. Okay. I think I'd be pretty happy with those four bands on a three headline bill slot. Yeah. <laughs> How can people find your work online? Um, right, well, the best bet is to follow BSM on all the social media sites that you can possibly think of. We're across them all uh, under the pseudonym BSM Rocks. Um, Twitter is usually, you know, rapid fire information. Facebook, if, you know, I personally don't really use it that much. If you're on there, that's sort of good links to our website. And then our website is just www.bsmrocks.com. Got the plug in. Uh, For my personal work and ramblings on the internet and, you know, semi-psychotic breakdowns, (laughs) uh, I am at Connor Laws, C-O-N-N-O-R-L-A-W-S. But yeah, I'm, I'm on various social medias talking about records or bands that not many people seem to care about bar me and like 23 other people or something yeah <laughs> something like that um yeah best ba- best place to go is bsmrocks.com for all the latest of what we're doing cool all right thanks a lot for talking to me thanks very much it's been a very fun conversation we're now at cruising